What's up, world? I go by the name of Jabari. It's another Monday, which means it's another Words with Friends podcast. If you don't know, if you are sleeping under a rock or something like that, you can now support the Words with Friends podcast with a tip on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Jabari, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Jabari. And if you're getting a little bit of inspiration, if you're enjoying these candid conversations with some people that I'm having on every single Monday, leave a tip at patreon.com slash Jabari. That ensures that I can keep bringing it to you guys each and every week, all right? Thank you so much for those that have already done that. And without further ado, I have my man Hannibal Burris in the building. What's up, man? What's happening, man? Man, it's it's uh, it's good to be back in uh, this house that we were in. <laughs> um, because as we were just talking about, uh, the last time I was here, uh, there was a rager going on. There was a big party in. Uh, in I don't think house. it was a rager. I think it was okay. It wasn't a rager. It had potential to go that way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it was pretty. I feel like people were pretty mellow. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. except when the fight was on, because this was a, it was a, it was a pool slash barbecue party. pool yeah. slash fight party. Yeah, yeah, the fight kind of got the fight is what separated the white people and the black people. Because <laughs> I yeah. feel like it was almost an equal amount of white people and black people. It was, there. it was. Yeah. But then when you saw when the fight came on, you, I made me realize that. Black people are way more interested in boxing than white people. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know what's so funny? It was, uh, I think it was, uh, oh man, there was a very nice young lady. Her name was Molly. Um, I forget, I forget her last name, but uh, she was, I was like, me and my friends were explaining to her about boxing. Yeah. And she didn't really know much about boxing. Yeah. But then like when the fight came on and everybody came in the room, it was one of those things where it was like, I don't know what it is about boxing, but like it just brings race into the picture so much more. Cause like, I mean, it is sports. yeah. You root for the uh, yeah. Boxing brings that. I mean, other sports do too, but boxing definitely. You root for the black dude. Yeah. You, if it's a black dude, white dude, you black, you have to root for the black dude unless he's a murderer. And even even still, if he's a murderer, you got to still gauge what type of murders it was. Like, was it horrible murders? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, if it was just if it was all right, murders like clean murders. If he didn't torture them, I still got a root for still the black. Go <laughs> it's the uh, boxing and then Jeopardy. Mm. Still, anytime I see a black dude on Jeopardy, I remember I was at my folks' crib uh, about a week ago, a week or two ago in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And they were watching Jeopardy, and I, I walked through, and it was a couple, two white people had a few thousand. Mm. And black dude had negative two hundred, and I was like, "Come on, man, what are you doing, doc?" He was just getting crushed, and yeah. it was just embarrassing. Even though I might get crushed on that, I didn't. I didn't like to see that. I didn't like to see that. <laughs> you on feel Jeopardy. like you're being represented. Yeah, man. Especially because you know they say that you know they have their stats and shit about academic achievement mm-hmm. and all of that type of shit. And so I was, I was seeing that on Jeopardy, magnified. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't like it. <laughs> um, okay, man. So I always like to start the podcast, man. Introduce yourself to those who, who may not know you and what your profession is. Uh, my name is Hannibal Burris. I do stand-up comedy and, and act and, and write and occasionally do do bad raps. <laughs> and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we met maybe... At this time, maybe maybe a year three years ago. Oh, three three years. A year and some change. It wasn't a year and some change, man. No, that was. I would say that was at least two and a half years ago. Some of the ballerinas. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, because I remember when I did the song. I did the song in uh, late 2012. That was like December 2012 when I started doing the song live. I'm. Are you sure, man? Because I'm like. I, I've I've lived in Los Angeles for a year now, and it was before then. And I would say it was like, this was maybe six months or something before I moved. It was December. I mean, I know when I put out the song. Yeah, okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> I put out the song, and then I hit. You, I saw the video. Yeah. I forget how I came across it. The video from your your party of the girls dancing. It, it might have been that one made it to World Star. So yeah, it, it made it. It was World Star. <laughs> The the girls doing ballet, the bands would make a dance, mm-hmm. and I said, "Man, I wanna, I want I should get ballerinas instead of having hip hop dance because I do a song called Gibberish Rap, and I wanted to have dancers to cover it up." And mm-hmm. so I saw that, and people think I took the idea from Kanye, 
Oh, from uh, uh, from the, Runaway. Yeah, Runaway. Yeah. But no, it's because I saw that video. <laughs> these girls dance, doing ballet. The bands make a dance. Yeah. And it was real cool. To, and I wish I was at that party. It seemed like. Oh, uh, it was incredible. For those for those that don't know, so I uh, one of my parties. Uh, I mean, everybody on the podcast knows I throw these parties, but. Uh, so one of them for the surprise sort of performance, we had two girls come out as ballerinas to. Uh, well, they were real ballerinas. Um, one of them was actually in the ASAP Ferg work video, um, and then the other one was just like a traditional ballerina. And uh, they they danced a ballet routine to uh, Bands Make Her Dance, Juicy J. And so then, yeah. Hannibal so saw so I saw that, and then I said. I don't, how do I find those ballerinas? I have a song and I want to have ballerinas. And so you linked me up with them and we did it at Knitting Factory the first time. And I've been doing, using ballerinas pretty much ever since then. Yeah. <laughs> all, over, all around the country I've been having ballerinas. And it's just, it's fun, man, just to have that as part of the show and just add a little flair to the to the comedy set yeah what i mean what does that bring to it like are people super shocked because i know when we did it people were just like what in the world is going on here and then they just were like after they after that initial like surprise factor yeah then they saw how good they were they were just like whoa this is amazing like is it the same sort of reaction i think it is especially with mine because it's the ballerinas are coming out after i've done about Use, I mean, if I'm on, if it's my headliner set, then they've they've coming out after sixty or seventy minutes of stand up. Okay. So yeah. the crowd has been kind of lulled into, you know, just hearing stand up, and so and the beat drops, and then ballerinas come out. It's pretty cool, especially when the ballerinas are good, because I've had some of varying qualities, and <laughs> some of them take direction better than others. But when they're good, and they and it, it just it's just a funny juxtaposition between my dumb song and them being serious and elegant. Yeah, yeah. and I think the crowd just enjoys uh, production value. You know, it's just I, and I go to a lot of just concerts, just trying to learn things, and it's it's just fun. It's just you know you know comedy in, in some settings, and I do it could be very bare bones. It's just you on the stage with a mic, yeah. but you know if you, if I perform it in theaters and and Amphitheater sometimes with these you know you got lighting and you got all big screens and all and a huge stage and big sound systems so just figuring out ways to use the space and yeah. you know if I'm on a big ass stage you know the stage look better with his five six ballerinas up there or, yeah. <laughs> and I got a DJ and and the light I mean, doing stuff with the lighting and and figuring out different things to do with video eventually so it's just. I think people would enjoy that because if the, if the comedy, I feel like my comedy is already solid, but if you can elevate it with different things, just elevate the the show and make it an experience and just have different stuff. It, it makes it, especially now, with just getting people out of the house in general, live entertainment. Yeah. With you know, people got all type of you know Netflix and Hulu and all this stuff on the internet. So if people are out and about and they they you know getting tickets and paying for parking whatever, and dinner plans and all this shit so I, I try to just you know respect that and, and, and put on a good show yeah I mean how do you compete I mean I always tell people like you know who are trying to start a new business or a new endeavor that you gotta keep in mind like you said there's so much stuff to compete with yeah. so literally just to get somebody out of the house, just to get somebody to click on this link to watch. Yeah. There are hundreds of alternatives than mm-hmm. whatever it is that you're doing. So, like, where do you start with, you know, making your alternative or your whatever it is that you're putting on, whether it's a stand-up, whether it's a comedy special, whether it's anything, like, where do you start with, with making sure that that is different enough than everything else that you're competing with? Well, I just try to... I'm working on me, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I'm just constantly just trying to improve as a comedian, as a show producer, as a promoter, and just make sure I'm putting on a good event. So just it, whether it's my show, my headlining show, just trying to make sure I'm doing good jokes mm-hmm. or, you know, doing good interviews to promote the shows and, mm-hmm. and just making sure I'm engaging... In the, in the press, or if I'm, I'm making sure I'm booking good acts and just keeping, you know, people surprised and keeping people talking about the event. So that's just, you know, just, you know, the best shit, even with the internet, 
the best things is just still word of mouth that you want people yeah. feeling like they if they weren't there that they want to be there the next week or, or something happens. So that's just that. And so it's just through me performing a lot. I've been able to meet a lot of people. And so I'm able to get people to the show that other people can't get to come to a show in, in New York. And then, you know, so, I, you know, sometimes Chris Rock comes to a show. And, and then, you know, I can, and I, I always could tell the week after somebody comes through, like if Chris Rock comes through mm-hmm. or Dave Chappelle comes, like it was when Dave Chappelle came through. Then the next week, I could tell that there was a bunch of new people <laughs> yeah, that yeah. came to the show because they heard Dave Chappelle came through. Like, yeah, no, yeah, Dave yeah. Chappelle ain't coming through two weeks in a row, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're trying to see Dave Chappelle. And like, well, maybe Dave is going to pop up. Yeah. Like, he ain't coming through again, but thank you for coming through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how you really meant. You really meant. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's uh, just through stuff like that and just you got to be um, persistent and... Mm-hmm. And utilize your connections and bug motherfuckers mm-hmm. until they say yes sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and and that's really it. Just just working hard. And I still, you know, promote. Like, if I I do the show every Sunday at Native Factory, but I still, and, and, it's, and it's packed out, but I still promote it. If somebody asks me what I got, like, Sunday's at Native yeah, Factory. Yeah, yeah. I don't act like I still, I check my fucking ticket numbers even though, like, the show, when I put it on, it sells out religiously, but I still check it. Like, yeah. it's not going, like, what are the numbers at? What are they at? What are they at? Yeah, yeah. Like, so I just still just just try to work it, man. And, and I think people respect that and, and just try to put on uh, good events. I mean, you know, it's just, like, you seem very in tune and, like, you know, kind of got this, like, independent artist hustler mentality with the stuff that you do, even though now, it's like, even just over the past two years, like, yeah. you've, you've, you've kind of reached a, a, a new platform, right? Like, you know, you're now in movies, you know, you've got, like, this, you're on your second Comedy Central yeah. special, right? So, like, but how important is it as a sort of, you know, as a comedian to still, like, be in tune with everything that you're doing and not letting somebody else, you know, run it. Like, I'm sure you've got, you know, your agents do this, yeah. managers do this, whatever. But, like like I said, you know, you still seem pretty hands-on with everything. I just like doing it, and I enjoy doing the work and seeing what comes from it. And now, I mean, I, I enjoy, I mean, I'm building my thing, but with through Knitting Factory, it, like, I've been able to introduce a lot of comedians mm-hmm. to a crowd and people have gotten big gigs through being at Knitting Factory. Not me trying to, not me linking up, but people, bookers have been through. So people have been booked in Scotland, been booked in Australia, been gotten mm. big auditions or different things. It just it led to other shows. So that kind of, that makes me happy when having a show that people can get on and they do well and it leads to, to other things. So that's what kind of makes me excited about it. And just still, I like putting together, because a lot of comedians... Um, comedians at my level that run a show, uh, a weekly show, don't um, they don't book it themselves. But I still book it. You book it. it. I book it, and uh-huh. I, I and I do the lineup. I still enjoy, you know, saying okay, this person will probably do good in a two spot right here, and this yeah. person should close out the first half, and this person should kick off the second half, and and booking the DJ and and everything like that. I enjoy that part of the the work. Just mm-hmm. just. Kind of knowing the crowd, engaging how the show flow should go, and who should do an eight minute set, and who should do maybe a twenty minute set. Like I enjoy that that science of just show flow and just audience vibe, and just seeing what people respond to. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Would you ever want to open up your own comedy club? I don't think so, just because that would kind of hold me in, in one spot. You know, I've thought about yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, and maybe if there's a way to do it where I can, you know, my, I can be a part of the, the booking and the design of the place and 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 creating a vibe, but not having to, not be, having there to be there all the time. Yeah. I, would, I would look at, but I, I, it's something that I, I've thought about um, running my own spot mm-hmm. eventually. That's something I think about. That's I, interesting, man. I I've been thinking about that a lot myself because you know I obviously I throw these parties and. And uh, I make these documentary films, and I'm just like, I kind of want 
to have my own physical space. But I've been a lot of my friends are like either in the process of opening up spaces, yeah, or they've opened up a space or like a sports bar and all this stuff. So I I, I have a lot of peers that have been like telling me the issues of what happens when you have a brick and mortar space. You know, yeah. there's like all types of taxes that you don't expect. There's yeah. all types of licenses that you have to get. You know, so like I understand that there's a lot of troubles in in opening up your own yeah. place, but I also see the benefit and the sort of power in having your own place that, you know, you can just literally tell people I'm not, you know, it's 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 yours and like the vibe, like you said, everything that you might not be able to get in terms of like uh, aesthetic and things that you want at places that you're doing things yeah. at, you can just say, fuck it, this is how I want it to be in my yeah. own spot. Yeah, I get real, I'm super sensitive to just small things in the mm-hmm. uh, presentation of a of a comedy show to the point where I I, I uh, do a lot of music venues and theaters now and uh, and so I still do comedy clubs mm-hmm. but then when I do a comedy club it's jarring because I might not like their pre-show playlist yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so like yeah, because I usually if plan, I if yeah. I do a theater, I bring my DJ with me, yep. and he's playing the stuff before. Because I want the whole if it's my night, if my name on a ticket, I want it to be that from when they step in. I want it to be curated. So like, I did a comedy club yesterday, and the comedy club was cool. Crowd was great, management was cool, but it was just this one little thing. That the the it was a host and an opening act. Went on and the oh, and then the host went back on. So he was bringing me on, but before he brought me on, he was like, "And hey, welcome to yeah, you know, fill out your comment cards and blah blah blah." <laughs> and I just hated hearing shit about comment cards before I was going on. It just felt. I mean, I know that the club has to, you know, get people's information as mm-hmm. to their life, blood, what you know, they get people information they can promote. But it still just felt just hearing it before my shit. I don't want to hear a comment <laughs> card promo, or they just have weird ass. Intro sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. welcome to the comedy club in that area. You ready to have a good time? Yeah. I'm in the green room, like, oh, this yeah. shit, this shit, uh, sucks. <laughs> but if I think if I did open a spot, I would, I would think about doing it in a, in a market, like a, a second tier market, like a. Four hundred thousand, five hundred thousand city oh, population like a small, city, a okay. smaller city, but okay. that needs something as uh, pop. Like there's been a couple good comedy clubs that have opened, and um, Helium is a good comedy club, and they've opened. They started in Philly, and they opened one in uh, Portland, okay, and then they opened one in Buffalo. So then, and it's mm-hmm. doing well because those cities. You go to a lot of spots. I go to a lot of spots on the road, and you and people are like, "Thank you for coming through." And so there's a lot of underserved markets where people, yeah, you know, we're around entertainment and got access to stuff all the time because we're in New York, LA, so we get to see what we want. But then, you know, some cities are kind of starved yeah. for entertainment. Like yeah. I did. I was in Boise. Yesterday, and my brothers were like, "Thank you! I can't believe you came to Boise. What are you doing here?" This was like was nothing like, going on. What are you doing here in Boise? Like they, they were so so. It's uh, <laughs> just figuring out what is the the, you know, other city that could use a a, a dope, uh, venue like that. Is it yeah. Oklahoma City or is it? Uh, you know, Little Rock or something like that. Just it, 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 and I feel like that could, and the pricing would be lower. Like you know, buying a property mm-hmm. there, buying mm-hmm. land there is cheaper. So, so I, I've thought about that, but that's definitely a more of a ten, fifteen year type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For long term. Okay. Well, I'm curious, man. How did you uh, grow up? You grew up in Chicago. Yeah. Um, was it something where you know this was a, this was a career trajectory that you always knew you were no, going to pursue? Okay, not at all. What was what was what what, what how, yeah? How did you grow up, and what did you think you were going to be doing when you were? I didn't age? know what I was going to be doing. I grew up in West Side of Chicago. Uh, I had a decent, pretty good upbringing, and my my dad is around. People are always shocked about that. Shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know my dad is around too. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. you know, oh, you know your dad. 
Oh, oh, crazy. Yeah. You do seem kind of well-adjusted, but weird. Um, but yeah, I had a good upbringing, man. And my neighborhood wasn't... It was like diet hood. Like, there was shit going on, and, and I, you know, got into, you know, the street stuff a little bit. Or it, but it wasn't overwhelmingly... Hood, you know what mm-hmm. I mean. My my area that I grew up in, and Chicago's kind of like that though. Chicago, you could easily be in like the real serious part of the hood, and like fifteen minutes, sometimes ten minutes down is like talk about more like two blocks. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's I'm, that's what I'm talking like, about in my yeah. uh, in my neighborhood, uh, Austin, North Austin, mm-hmm. and so uh, it's like Austin is the street that runs north and south. And North Avenue is a street that runs east and west. And on one side of North Avenue and is, uh, is Oak Park, which is a suburb, mm-hmm. a nice suburb. And the other side of the street is Chicago. And so, mm-hmm. and then you got, it, so it was bordering, my area was bordering the suburbs. So it had uh, kind of both influences. So, like, yeah, but the block I lived on was all homes, you know, just bungalows, all single family homes and mm-hmm. with apartment building at the end. But then you go, a few blocks down, on the other side, east side of Austin, that's where there's a lot of apartments, mm. and it's just different people behavior. on top of each other. We're not even on top of each other. It's two flats or three three unit buildings, okay. but sometimes it's you know it's not overall, but it's, it is a different you know renting and owning brings different vibes in some areas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and so when you were growing up. I guess what was your career goals? I didn't. I didn't know, man. I just wanted to be successful. I didn't know exactly what in high school. I didn't just knew like I was kind of following just the you got to go to college, you get a job, and you get a job, and you live life, and you do this. I didn't know exactly what it was. Um. So when I got into college. I kind of started feeling like I, I wanted to do something different. I didn't know what it was. I didn't. I hadn't found stand up yet, but I did. I felt something. Well, I need to. I feel like I need to be doing something different. I didn't know exactly where to channel the the energy. I think I might have been writing a little bit or writing writing down shit and journaling, but I didn't know because I didn't know anybody that was doing stand up, and I mm-hmm. wasn't. It wasn't like now. Where stand up is so accessible and got podcasts where you can learn about the process and, yeah, yeah. and and just uh you can look on YouTube and look at all stand up and look at all these interviews and and you know, all these different shows and, and, and comedy is very big now. Uh so I it wasn't like so I didn't know what I wanted to do, but then I got into this this performing group and I was doing some plays, it was called Oops Entertainment. So I kind of caught the performance bug with that, and then one of my friends was doing stand up. I went to watch him, and it was an open mic, and that, and I, I decided I wanted to try it out after that. And then when I tried it out, I just it just I caught fire, and I just kept doing it and just mm-hmm. stayed focused. Yeah. Now, was your first open mic? Did the did the jokes go over well, and were people laughing, or did you just tank? It went okay. It was a very supportive crowd because it was other open micers and maybe their friends, so it wasn't a. Okay. High stakes situation where people, uh, you know, it wasn't like people were paying a big cover charge or it was a big crowd. It might have been 15, 20 people, if that. So the jokes, I got chuckles and stuff, but it wasn't a high stress uh, performance situation. Okay. So it went okay. It went well enough for me to be excited about it and want me, want, want to do it again. Now, I mean, I, I know that comedians, I mean, it's 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 the type of career that every comedian that I've watched an interview for or I've talked to, everybody talks about how, you know, the early days are the hardest days. You know, it's like when you're starting off, you are, you know, you're you're going on stage and you're just like bombing and mm-hmm. you're not understanding like, you, you're not coming into your voice or you're not, you know, understanding like you're reading each crowd, but each crowd is different and you're just sort of trying to Coming to your own, yeah. It, how, was it was it like that with you, or was it was I it something where but you I wasn't, were, Yeah, I mean, you definitely. Try, I was trying to find myself creatively, but I wouldn't say that it was the hardest time. I mean, it was it was definitely tough creatively. Like I had some days where I, oh, sets that really bumped me out, but I think overall, it was a real um, first few years. 
with kind of carefree. Mm. It started in 2002. And so it was a, you know, you just bomb. And if you bomb, that's it. You just bomb there. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't Twitter then. Oh, yeah. No YouTube. No, <laughs> no yeah, you, yeah. you just kind of, it was, so it was, and I think, you know, it was a period of time where you weren't as into yourself either. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where you're not looking at shit all the time. <laughs> you're just doing your shit. And I was, I was writing more. And, and so it was, you know, you got to find your voice, but. I do remember having a lot of fun then, just because it wasn't about, it was just about trying to do a good 10 minutes and then drinking with friends, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so it was less, less pressure. Not that I'm not complaining about anything at all. I'm, I'm enjoying everything and I'm, and I'm thankful for everything, but just the levels of, of responsibilities and, and being real, you know, ignorant of the, the business aspect of it and just mm-hmm. a, a lot of different yeah. things that come with being in this spot. It, it was, I look back on those times finally. I definitely wouldn't, I'm not saying I want to be a fucking open micer again, yeah, but, <laughs> but I just do, I do appreciate uh, the grind and, and that time for, for what it was. I do okay. appreciate it a lot. What, what, uh, I mean, so at, at what, at what point did you get into like the, the sort of like next level like at what mm-hmm. point did you say okay well hmm this is now becoming a reality yeah and i have to take things a bit more seriously like what 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 happened to sort of like switch gears i mean it's a lot it's 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 still in progress right now it's just different points man and it's been different points since i would say about 2006 okay it's like it's been a steady progression since then, in 2006, I got in the Montreal Just for Laughs Comedy Festival, which is the, it's the biggest comedy festival in, in uh, North America. And I got management through that and got a gig overseas performing in, uh, in Rotterdam, Holland, uh, mm. like a half hour outside of Amsterdam. So I, a TV gig. Uh, and I was only been doing it four years at that time. And so that was real exciting. And then did the Craig Ferguson show and then did uh, some other stuff with Comedy Central the next year. And then when I did Late Night with Jimmy Fallon uh, and got the Saturday Night Live job, that kind of put me into actual show business. Where it wasn't you were just, writing for Saturday Night Live. I was writing for Saturday Night Live. Uh, and that just kind of took me from just being a stand-up and put me into the television business mm-hmm. which is uh it was a different world and different a different life uh what was the regular most, paycheck well yeah so yeah you're getting you're getting a, every two weeks you're getting paid but what was the biggest difference i guess like what was what was uh you know surprising to you about now entering into you know the comedy world from a tv standpoint nothing real surprising it's just uh, you know it was just uh, all of a sudden, my coworkers was Kristen Wiig and Jason Sudeikis and Fred Armisen, and you know what mm-hmm, I mean. Mm-hmm. And this from doing stand up to you know now I'm trying to write sketches and pitch sketches to them. So to be put in that that world was uh, it was jarring and it was it was it was pretty crazy. It was it was unexpected and it it was awesome, man. What are some of the things that you learned by uh, by writing? Because you wrote for multiple TV shows, not just Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live and Thirty Rock. 30 and Rock okay. Some awards stuff, like freelance stuff. Um, just learn how to try to turn a joke fast and mm-hmm. just how to tag a joke and, and rewording and just being able to think of something on the fly and, and twist it. And it's just, it's just stuff, you know, you can't really pinpoint what you, what you learn. Mm-hmm. And just by being there, you know, just, you know, how to twist an idea or just what works as a sketch and coming up. Like sometimes you have a funny idea, especially in the sketch world, you might have a funny idea, but you need a framework for mm-hmm. that idea to work. It can't just work on it on on its own. At least on for 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 Saturday Night Live, for like a, a idea can be a funny idea, but you have to frame it. Mm. You know what I mean? You have to frame the uh, the the idea to to give it to give it life. Sometimes, you know, I one thing that sort of like. Uh, interests me is that you know you and this is the the 
sort of trajectory of a lot of, you know, successful creative people is what happens is you do things on your own um, because you love them, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's your passion, because it comes naturally to you. And then if you get to a certain level, people then come and, like, offer you money to do those things, right? And now you have to sort of do those things, sometimes, like, within the constraints of whatever... The people that are giving you money to do them. Sometimes you get full creative reign or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, was there ever a sort of level of, um, was there ever a rift in that in that you know process? Was it because like now you're getting paid to do what you do naturally? Were there things that were different, or were there things that were like you know more difficult, or just situations that you weren't used to now because people are paying you to you know? Essentially, just be funny, and you're already naturally yeah. funny. Uh, I mean, it's just not uh, riffs, but just in the creative pro- in the development process, like developing my pilot with Comedy Central. Wouldn't say there's necessarily riffs, but it is. You know, everybody has different ideas of what works. So I might think something is hilarious. The director might think is something else is hilarious. I might not like what the director likes. The Comedy Central exec might think that things need to move faster. So it's that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and kind of trying to find a, a a happy medium with that. Uh, so that that is a different thing, and that's just part of being in the, in the television business. I, I just watch. I watch. I've got to watch other people deal with it while working under them, mm-hmm. working at Thirty Rock. Sometimes uh, uh, after a table read, then, then the network would call in with notes. I wouldn't be speaking on these calls. Only Tina Fey and Robert Carlock would be talking on these calls. But some of the notes would be all right on the script. And then some of the notes, they would just say things just to kind of justify their jobs. <laughs> okay. And you could see Tina. like uh, It's just funny hearing just the notes process is a, is a funny um thing but people but sometimes people have great notes and 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 just you know it's good to collaborate and you know if somebody got four notes maybe two of them are good and it might change the whole vision of the project or just make you think in a different way and and you could kind of take that knowledge into other things that you're writing and creating so that's just that's just that everybody has you know when you're creating a lot of people have uh, different ideas. Yeah. So, and right now, uh, you're on, what, two Comedy Central shows? I'm you're on, on Eric, Broad City. Broad City, and then... Eric Andre's show is on Adult Swim. It's on Adult Swim, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, what's the... What, what's sort of like the, the differences in, in working on each of those shows? Well, Eric Andre's show is... It's just a weird show, man, where we do crazy bits and it's highly improvised. We have structure, but it's kind of a lot of... We interviewing people and we get yeah. to be really weird. And I get to not be necessarily mean to people, but I get to be weird to guests and kind of just chime in and and just... And then the editors cut it together. We'll do a full hour interview with a guest and then cut it down to two minutes. So yeah. it's an editor's show. So the editors are finding these moments, just the moments, and, and it comes together real tight. Because the show is only 12 minutes long. So it's a weird show. It's made for people that are, you know, a little high. And it's late night on Adult Swim. It, it definitely has a cult, crazy fan base. When we do the live shows, uh, the fan base that comes, like, they go crazy for mm-hmm. when we do the live show. Uh, and it's a, been a, <clears throat> it's a really fun show to do. Eric is... Super weird and crazy and, and focused. Uh, and it's, yeah, and I met it's really him cool. in the treehouse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the other night. Uh, yeah. But uh, and then Broad City is just a, you know, it's a sitcom. So it's a show is based in New York. It's based on, you know, Alana and, and Alana Glaze and Abby Jacobson. It's just, the, you know, these girls in New York and what they're dealing with. And it's, and it's uh, I'm playing a character in that show. Um I play Lana's off and on fuck buddy. And so that is interesting just to see <clears throat> how those, like, how that 
just how it connects with people in a different way than stand up or the Eric Andre show because it's a character people yeah. might relate to this person where on Eric Andre show I'm being a weird dude commenting on stuff people might relate to that but it's a I'm playing myself and uh, on Broad City it's a it's a different it's a different type of actor but both of them kind of I can feel now how just just the experience on camera with both they you get better you know like I feel like we film Eric Andre show now and I feel like I'm better on that because I did stuff on Broad City and more yeah, stand up yeah, yeah. and so I feel better on that and I think when I go back and feel Broad City in July I'll be better because of you know more experience on Eric Andre's show so they both you know all the it's just it's just practice really I'm trying to just get better yeah. at acting and I'm able to practice on television you know how how I mean the 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 sort of like stand up comedian to acting jump is something that I feel like it's one of those uh and I mean correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not a stand up comedian but it's one of those like is it a, like a, I've made it moment when you are now acting? You know what I mean? Or is, is that is that the transition that a lot of stand up comedians are trying to make? Are they trying to get these sort of roles as as you know characters in movies and in television? It, I mean, it varies for everybody. For me, it's just I like to do funny work. Yeah. And if people feel like, you know, if if they feel like I can help their project and it's and it's funny stuff, then I'm. I'm down to do it, uh, you know, because it's, it's good to be out there doing good work. And also, it brings more people to my stand-up. Mm-hmm. Like, me being on a TV show, me being in a movie, means more people are going to come to my stand-up show. So that's what it is for me. I enjoy doing... Do you get the most benefit or, like, the most pleasure for you out of stand-up? Is that, is that what it yeah. is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's more immediate. Okay. And you'll hear a lot of stand-ups talk about this. Acting is fun. But I did Neighbors in May of last year, and it, <laughs> and it came out May 9th this year. Yeah, you know, and I'm like I mean, I'm like that was fun, but god damn, it took so long. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna come out. Come out. Yeah. Am I gonna am I gonna die before this shit comes out? <laughs> I could have died, man. <laughs> I got a whole twelve months. I could have died on yeah. that time. Uh, so that's the thing. Like, where it's awesome to be a part of the and Now that neighbors out, and you know, people are enjoying it. It's it's awesome. It was the number one movie the first week it came out. And that shit was dope, but that shit took a year. Yeah. Where yeah. I could think of a joke or three right now, and I can go try that shit later tonight. I can go try it probably. It's probably some open mics. You know, what is it, four? It's 4.30 or something now in L.A. It's some open mic at 6. I could probably hit up and try something I thought of. So that's just the thing. And, you know, you get used, but it's the immediacy of, of stand-up. Yeah. That uh that I enjoy. Like, even Broad City was cool because it did turn around pretty fast for a sitcom. Uh, we we finished shooting Broad City in November of 2013, and it premiered in uh, January of oh, damn, 2014. That yeah. So that's pretty. That was a pretty quick turnaround. Um, so that's what it is. I enjoy doing that stuff, but I like doing stand up because I don't have to. You know what's good right away. Yeah. Where some stuff you don't TV or movies you don't know if it's good until it comes out and yeah, you might yeah, be yeah, sitting yeah. around. Yeah. So <laughs> you might be. It you, might be shit. It might be shit. Yeah. It might be shit. You might have been sitting around. I can't wait to see this for six months. Yeah. And then you're like, oh man, this is horrible. Yeah. I was waiting for this. So that's what it is. Yeah. What uh? What were some things that you learned? I mean, because that movie. I mean, like I told you, man, when I saw Neighbors. I was in a crowd full of black folks and everybody was dying. Like, yeah. It was it was hilarious. It was I don't even go to the movies that much, but when I when I went to that I was really pleased walking out of the theater. What were some things that you learned from working with, you know, like Seth Rogen and those other guys on that set? Uh I don't know if I learned much on set. I just I like Seth's business mind where he's written a lot of his own projects and you know, he puts a lot of funny people around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it just motivated me to want to write my own. I want to write a low-budget movie where I'm the lead. Like, that's my next yeah. uh, move. That's something I want to get done by the end of the year is get a script finished, my own idea, me as the lead, and put a bunch of other funny people in it with me uh, and produce it myself and, and, that, and that type of thing. So... And he's done. He's produced a lot of his own projects and written a lot of his own projects, which means, you know, 
he makes a lot of the money from him. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I kind of learned from that. And just, you know, they they kind of kept, kept it loose on set, and they, they had the story set, but a lot of improvising and but it 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 was real it was real cool man it was a real awesome experience yeah i think uh you know like what you're talking about with producing your own things man and like you know i think that's when i see people who have sort of done that from you know from not necessarily the beginning but when i think that's just what separates certain people and like that's how you are able to sort of control your own destiny man yeah. is when you're putting your own funds into something and like the minute, I mean, I'm I'm sort of in that process right now where I'm working on my next feature length doc, and it's not just me. And it's like, whenever it's not just you controlling yeah. it, I mean, it's, it's you know what I mean. It's never not just gonna be you, but like when when it's somebody else's money, yeah, everything takes longer. It's like you don't have as much of a say and all of that stuff. So like, yeah. I mean, that in terms of like your trajectory, do you see? You know, you having production company, rolling out films, TV shows, all of that stuff, you know. That's what I want to do eventually. That's more of a, like a three to five year, five, seven year, I'm thinking. But yeah, I do want to get a couple of my own projects off of the ground and then start helping uh, other talent kind of produce their things. Mm Mm-hmm. Once I learn what the fuck I'm doing, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. You yeah. can't teach if you don't know. Yeah. So I want to learn the game and you know learn what is you know get a couple projects of my own out that I wrote and 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 learn how to what it is to produce a project and deal with the studios and and that part of the business. So then I could uh, help others do the same. Yeah. I want to do stuff in music too, man. I, I would like. Yeah, to- you have a huge music knack and bug I see with the stuff that you do and like even having a DJ at your shows yeah. and all of that stuff yeah yeah why why do you want to do stuff in music and what type of stuff do you want to do I don't I don't know I mean maybe either maybe run a small label or something mm-hmm. I just like I mean I've been around music pretty much my entire career as far as performing I started out at an open mic like uh, one uh, open mic I hosted in, in college called Sunday School Sessions they had, you know, it was people doing music, it was DJs, it was singers, poets, and all that. And I've hosted a lot of uh, hip-hop events, and and it's just been something that, you know, I used to battle rap in college. And, mm-hmm. and I've been around uh, music and rap a lot, so I just I just feel like I got a, a pretty good ear and just uh, a knack for promotion that I could do something in, in music. Yeah, yeah. What uh, this is one thing I was wondering, man, is is how much of your success right now is like dependent on a gatekeeper, and when I say that, I mean like how much is dependent on like a casting person or somebody wanting to book you at this nightclub mm-hmm. or whatever, and then how much is dependent on just like you making sure yourself is hot. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think a big amount of it is just from doing stand-up and meeting people and these people getting their own projects mm-hmm. and then putting me in them. Like, even from uh, doing, getting a Saturday Night Live job was, I was doing shows, is. uh New York, uh, Eugene Merman. You're Eugene Merman. No, I'm real funny dude. Just done. Uh, he's done specials and got written books, and he actually has his own comedy festival in Brooklyn, the Eugene Merman Comedy Festival. Mm. But he was putting me on shows when I was visiting New York and when I first moved in, 2008. And through him, I met Ad Miles. Ad Miles was. Uh, uh, then 80 Miles became the head writer at Fallon. And so I submit, I gave him a DVD of my stand-up. And then somebody got sick the day before they were supposed to do Fallon. And then and then that's and then I got called in to do Fallon and I got the job from there. So it was because of stand-up, just being mm-hmm. in the mix of stand-up. Even Eric Andre shows because 
I was doing stand-up, met Eric Andre. He was putting together his show, and he wanted somebody to kind of be the counterbalance to his uh, energy. Broad City, is I met them through being out and about doing stand-up, and then they put me, they had the web series. They put me in a web series, and then it eventually became a TV show. They asked me to do it. So mm. a lot of my stuff is from just being in New York, doing a lot of comedy shows, people liking my shit, and then wanting to work. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like um, it just it. A lot of this sounds like the same sort of uh, path of like an independent musician or something. You know yeah. what I mean? Like doing all these shows, getting your buzz up, and then making sure that you're following up with people and you're you know constantly in people's ear. And so, like when the next opportunity arises, it's just like boom, I'm here. Yeah, yeah. What uh, what, what was I about to say? Um. I feel like in terms of people who are trying to do what you're doing. Yeah. Right? It's like, I know you can't tell them this is what to do. Uh-huh. Boom, boom, boom. But like, what is the main piece of advice that you give to like an up and coming comic? I just tell them to perform a lot and, and write a lot. Um, and that's the basic. If you try to do stand up, just perform a lot and write a lot and Try to get better. I guess now would be you know, uh, you know, if you're doing you know, sketches, then do sketches, put them online. If you're mm-hmm. funny, just just do work. You know what I mean? And, and put stuff out there. Don't be afraid to fail and just and just try. And just don't be an asshole <laughs> if you can help it. Uh, that's the main thing. Is just to, if you want to do something, then do that at the level. That you can do it at, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you're, <laughs> you don't have the means to like make a TV pilot, then do, do something. Do what you can do. Do it on a you know, handy cam. Yeah. Do your version of that, or and 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 just try to get better after you've done it. So that's and just repeat, rinse and repeat. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? That's what do you think is the is uh, what do you know now that you wish you would have known when you started? When I started, I don't. Know, I mean, it's just I wish, and I still, I still can start doing this. I wish that I took uh, email addresses after every. Oh, dude, that is. Don't get me started on email marketing, man. Like that is the core. Of everything that I do. And like it is so important. And I wish more people took into consideration and account how valuable an email address is, man. Um, oh my gosh. You still don't do that? I still don't do it. Oh my god. I wish I took email Terrible. You're killing me. Oh. You gotta do it, bro. Yeah, I wish I took email. I've done it sporadically. I did it early on and then I did it a couple shows in the West Coast maybe a year and a half ago. But it's, yeah, I just wish I took email addresses at every show. You have to do it. I mean, literally, it's like, here's the thing. When you're dependent on a social network, right? Like, you have a huge social following. But, like, not everybody is seeing a tweet that you put out. Right. You're like, hey, Because it's fleeting. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. It's fleeting. When you are in somebody's inbox... That is the most direct type of communication you can have with the consumer in today's age. And it's been tried and true. Like I know it. Even you know Apple I mean? emails. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Apple says, hey, we got new phones. Yeah. They email that shit. Check this out. Yeah. New MacBooks, motherfucker. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yeah. And you look. Uh, yeah, I know it. It's just a, it's tough. to. It's a lot of habits that I have that either I don't know if I need a personal assistant, if I need to, you know, get some ADD treatment. But it's, I have some... Uh, organizational issues that, you know, if I, you know, did, yeah, the email thing, that could definitely, I mean, if if I looked at an email address the way you should look at it, which is, you know, an email address is a, you know, potential ticket so or could be four tickets so or ten yeah, if they bring a group. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's one of the things that I, I wish I, I did, I should start doing again and just I wish I did more video stuff. I don't do as much online video stuff as I should. Like as yeah, far as do you like have your own channel? I got a YouTube channel, but I don't post it. I got a, maybe a couple thousand subscribers, but I don't. 
it could be more if I really Man. fueled that. So it's a lot of different things on my, like as far as the business, I'm not putting forth the uh, the full court press press the way I question. I why do you think that is? If you know that you need to do it, why do you? What's stopping you? Comfort, <laughs> <laughs> comfort, and working. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Where it's just mm-hmm. like if it's not, you know, I'm in a good spot, so it doesn't. If I'm going to somewhere and my shows are selling out, then I don't feel the need to. I'm not scraping. So I, even though you, you know you can always do but you better, you can do two you nights always, instead right, of doing one. You can, you do can always two. do better. You can always do better. I know that. It's just uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's laziness and maybe needing to get a good. Uh, probably need to get a good producer or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna stay on you about that, man, because yeah. uh, you you're losing a lot. Yeah. Right now. I mean, you merchandise. I don't do enough yeah. merchandise. I used to sell T-shirts after show. I don't have an online store set up. I got a bunch of kind of catchy jokes that mm-hmm. people repeat to me or just say to me online that I should have on T-shirts that would do that could probably do good numbers. So I don't have my, my merch game isn't right right now. I'm leaving a lot of money on the table. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Okay. So this has now turned into a little like. Uh... The, uh, the, the business the, intervention. The, exactly. Uh, let's get Hannibal. Fix my brand. brand. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so what's next for you, man? Like, what, what, aside from fixing all this stuff, yeah. what, uh, what, what's in your in your path, man? Right now, just finishing up season three of Eric Andre's show. Then, you know, a couple festivals this year, doing Sasquatch and Bonnaroo. Yeah, that's going to uh, be dope. Yeah, and then... Um, it's doing season two of Broad City and uh, probably doing a, another movie in the summer and just working. Just yeah. start then do probably do a big tour in the fall. Do a big stand up tour. Um, and that's pretty much it. That's and Nin Factory still. Nin Factory still going. Yeah, yeah, work out the new stuff there every Sunday. Yeah, y'all got to come through the Knitting Factory, man. There's some really dope talent over there, man. When I lived in New York, I would I would go through and crack up every time. Um, cool, man. And where can people find you? Uh, HannibalBurris.com and uh, HannibalBurris at all social networks. Twitter, Instagram, uh, Tumblr, Hannibal, Hannibal. And if you wanted somebody to watch one piece of your work, what would you suggest? What, oh, one thing. thing. Oh, man. One bit. I don't know. I would say check out my set from Fallon late night. Uh, no, the Tonight Show with Fallon, the latest one. I took. I got a, a nice five minute bit on New Orleans. Uh, yeah, but just is so, that, you know, go is that the, your... That's the bit about you, uh, like in the in the parade. Yeah, throwing yeah, the parade. Yeah, 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 that was fun. That one, maybe gibberish rap with Bum B. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's funny too. Yeah, yeah, dope. All right. Um, well, you guys know. Uh, Man, every Monday, Words with Friends podcast, please leave a review in the iTunes store, um, soundcloud.com slash Jabari. And the next Colors Party is on May 30th in New York. Uh, we're back at Tammany Hall. Come through uh, nyc.mycolorsparty.com for tickets and use the code uh, Words with Friends for 10% off. And, uh, yeah, like I said, leave a tip. If you're enjoying the podcast, if it's starting your week off right, go to patreon.com slash Jabari and leave a tip. And uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And please get in tune with my man Hannibal Burr's stuff. You'll start dying and crack up because this man is very funny. All right? Peace. Peace.